Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Miss Roundtable. Glad you're here. The slap heard round the world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Unfortunately. Why would that be unfortunately? Just out of curiosity. Should have never happened. It was stupid. I agree with that. Saw a piece yesterday by a lady named Candace Owen, I believe is her name. Had an interesting take on uh, that encounter of the slap bird around the world. Pulled up a piece uh, in, the, in the clip that I saw. And it was an interviewer dialogue between Will Smith and his wife, where she was confessing in the interview of her extramarital affair with one of her son's friends. And Will Smith was just kind of just sitting there, kind of buying off into it. If you happen to see the clip, part of what was in, part of what was in that was as a, uh, the comedian made his remark. Will Smith laughed. He looked at his wife. I'm sure she gave him that. No, you didn't look. To which Will Smith responded by going up and slapping his meat. Chris Rock. 13, 14 years we've been meeting here. Yeah, been slapped yet. Yeah. <laughs> I have. <laughs> 13, 14, 15 years we've been meeting here. And Phil starts out every series the same way. Every morning. Act like a man. Act like a man. There's no doubt that that's true. She's confessed it. There's something broken there. Don't be a reactionary to her stuff. Act like a man. What does it mean? Glad you're here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, I ask that you bless our time. Bless these fire. And the food provided this morning and the coffee. I want to ask you to be with Bill and Carl this morning as they do some planning, spending some time together, seeing where their future is. Thank you for being in Rome and coming this morning to share. More and more than anything else, we come here before you to confess our sins and I ask you to pour into us. So that we can be men, real men, the men our families need, the men our wives need. This world is hungry for real men. Give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the tools to face the challenge, to call upon you to face down the enemy. Act like a man. You're not even broke. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Joe. Um, excited to be here uh, and just sharing with you guys. Um, ben is going to join us, and uh, we're going to kind of do the the team uh, team talking, team teaching. Um, I don't know if that that might be too strong of a word. We're going to do something, um, but I, uh, in honor of Phil, since he's uh, he's not with us. Um, uh, came across this, and uh, I think it's uh, very appropriate. And um, it's called "Advice from an Old Hillbilly," in honor of Phil. Okay, so this is some good stuff. We probably ought to do a handout with this on it. Um, so here we go. Your fences need to be horse high, pig tight, and bull strong. Keep skunks, bankers, and politicians at a distance. Sorry, bankers. Not sorry, politicians. Life is simpler when you plow around the stump. A bumblebee is considerably faster than a John Deere tractor. <laughs> Words that soak into your ears are whispered, not yelled. The best sermons are lived, not preached. Forgive your enemies. It's what God says to do. If you don't take the time to do it right, you'll find the time to do it twice. Don't corner something that is meaner than you. That's marriage advice. <laughs> don't pick a fight with an old man. If he's too old to fight, he'll just kill you. It don't take a very big person to carry a grudge. <laughs> Don't hit the button and play some noise. Um, you cannot unsay a cruel word. Every path has a few puddles along the way. When you wallow with pigs, expect to get dirty. Don't be banging your shin on a stool that's not in the way. Borrowing trouble from the future does not deplete the supply. Most of the stuff you worry about ain't never gonna happen anyway. Don't judge folks by their relatives. <laughs> Silence is sometimes the best answer. Don't interfere with something that ain't bothering you none. Timing has a lot to do with the outcome of a rain dance. If you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you need to do is stop digging. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, you, you get and sometimes you get got. The biggest troublemaker you'll ever have to deal with watches you from the mirror every morning. <laughs> Always drink upstream from the herd. Good judgment comes from experience and most of that comes from bad judgment. Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. If you get to thinking you're a person of some influence, try ordering somebody else's dog around. Live a good, honorable life. Then when you get older and think back, you'll enjoy it a second time. Live simply, love generously, care deeply, speak kindly, leave the rest to God. Most times, it all just comes down to common sense.
advice from an old hillbilly. So this morning, uh, we're going to kind of work with the series we've been working with, uh, but it's the idea of tell your story. Um, the quote there at the beginning uh, from Dan Allender, uh, if I ask you to tell me your story, what would you say? God is the author of your life story. God is engaged in an ongoing creative work in your life. You are a story, well-written, intentional story that is authored by the greatest writer of all time. And even before time and after time, you are a living story that is meant to reveal and create glory. What makes your life a glorious bestseller is that the plot reveals not a mere moral or lesson, but the very person and being of God. So we're going to talk about tell your story and understand your created design. It's the idea of how your soul works. The book that we've been using, kind of anchoring this series in, is renovated by James Wilder. And uh, that uh, James Wilder was a, is a Dallas Willard disciple, and Dallas Willard talks so much about the construct of the soul. And I believe, and I certainly know my brother Ben believes, that understanding the construct of your soul will determine whether you live an ordered life or a disordered life. So we'll start with a song uh, from Need to Breathe, um, as we always do. Um, and it's just simply called Brother. Maybe. I'll just sing it. How about that? Get an extra tip. <laughs> All right, Jeff says, here we go. I'm going to talk about the six spiral wireless. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff logged into his AT&T wireless. There it is.
idea of telling your story um it, you you can't do this stuff on your own you can't understand the creative design of your soul on your own uh oftentimes i have a guy in my office and you know he'll he'll start talking about he, he's working on himself <laughs> do you laugh at him in your office i i try not to it's really hard right, right. but he's working on himself it, and I just go, dude, that, that's impossible. Uh, you working on yourself got you in my office. Uh, it, you you got to work this stuff out in the context of community, in brotherhood, in life together. That's the only way that it works. Uh, you cannot do it alone. So uh, thank you, Ben, for yeah, uh, coming up here and letting me make fun of you. Um, it's always fun. No one else is willing. Well, I get to do that with Phil, yeah. and yeah, I just it's what we do. Um, but uh, we talked about it last time. Ben is uh, transitioning. Still not funny to everybody. <laughs> I know. It, it just I don't know how many times you're gonna, I'm gonna tell that joke. I'm gonna keep doing it. This it's is, just this is awesome. men giving you feedback <laughs> that you're refusing to accept. I am a bull. I am a bull. <laughs> no kidding. I may not be right, but I'm never in doubt. Yes. Yeah. 
So uh, I can't say that you're a former pastor yet because you're still you're still pastoring. Almost, yeah. And uh, I believe um, when you have a pastor's heart, you're always a pastor. Yeah. I tell many pastors, well, yeah, I probably have said it to their face. Um, they may have the title, but they don't have the heart. And uh, one thing I love about my brother is he has a pastor's heart. And uh, I love what we get to do together, and uh, we're going to be doing more of it together. Uh, this week, uh, Ben and I, uh, we launched our podcast. Um, uh, the title of the podcast is Sex, God, and Chaos. Um, it's a good name for a book, by the way. That about covers it. Though. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, it uh, we did three episodes, and uh, I just it's got it's got a lot of potential, and it it'll be a lot of fun, um, because this idea of uh, yeah, yeah, chaos, and certainly in that area of men's lives, and just life in general, even in the broader culture, uh, it is problematic. Um, so uh, we did that this week, and then. Uh, what, what have you got going on this weekend? Uh, yeah, we're actually going two separate directions to do very similar things. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be just outside of Forest this weekend. I would appreciate you guys who have been through this experience uh, committing these 10 men to prayer. We've got 10 new guys sharing their story. Uh, it's called Hangar Coaching Weekend. It's basically uh, Deer Camp version 2, 2.0. <laughs> Deer Camp better. I don't know yeah. what we're going to call it. Easy. Uh, yeah, Easy. Yeah. So... Uh, we'll have alumni there, 10 guys sharing their story, discovering many of them uh, who they are at a deep level for the first time. So we'll be doing that in one location. You'll be doing something very similar in, a, in another. Yeah, I uh, just get to do one of the things I love the most. Uh, I get to do a men's clinical intensive uh, with my son. Uh, uh, Roe is a, one of our therapists, works with us, uh, works with me, and, um, and he's also a CSAT. Uh, which is certified sex addiction therapist, kind of the gold standard in our world. And uh, we got selected to do uh, really the first uh, clinical intensive uh, for the Sampson Society. Some of you are familiar with them. Uh, it was founded by a guy named Nate Larkin. Uh, Nate was a megachurch pastor up in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, and, um, and he was a full-blown sex addict. That's that's just strange, isn't it? Yeah, weird combination. Yeah, yeah. You know, what is strange is that um, he's made a practice of revealing his story and history to help other men get healthy. Yeah. That's what's strange. Oh, yeah. It, very strange. Yeah. Uh, Nate wrote a book called Samson and the Pirate Monks. And I remember when I saw that book, I was at Barnes and & Noble, and, and I just saw the title. And I didn't know what it was about. I'd not heard of it. But I just bought, picked it. I'm buying that book just for the title, Samson and the Pirate Monks, right? And then out of that, uh, basically that book is just kind of Nate's story um, uh, of his discovery and recovery. And then uh, he started uh, the Samson Society, and there's groups uh, that meet actually all over the world, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12,000 attendees uh, in these different Samson groups. Um, and it's um, it's certainly was um, an honor that they asked uh, Roe and I to do the first clinical intensive. And there's 12 guys coming from all over the country um, uh, to Macon, Mississippi. We were going to do it up at Ebenezer uh, where we do deer camp. But Roe and I thought, like, 
we want to make a good first impression. Some of you have been to deer camp. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a deer camp, right? And we're going to go up to my brother's place and uh, it, it's a, it's a little step above uh, Ebenezer place. We love Ebenezer place, uh, but we need you to give, we need you to support it so we can fix it up. We need, need to do a little work up there. Uh, so we're excited about that. It's going to be a, incredible weekend and certainly i would ask you guys to pray uh for us as we lead it and and then these guys that are coming um so would certainly appreciate that so let's jump in and uh you think we'll get to the handout at all i don't know i'm kind of thinking we shouldn't just to keep that going yeah yeah that we don't want to break all the spiritual stuff we said last week and guys at out in the parking lot were like hey what can what are the answers you can always tell the, the anal retentive guys, yeah. right? Yeah. The, we won't name names. Yeah, the OCD guys. Uh -huh. Yeah. You didn't you didn't tell me what that blank was. <laughs> <laughs> Not calling any names. Yeah. Um, so this idea of story and uh and certainly uh it's what we do at, at Deer Camp, work with our stories. It's what you you you've been doing and what you do at the Hangar Man weekends. Um just in your experience in, in working with men, um, as far as kind of their awareness of their story and kind of what we would say called collecting the dots and connecting the dots, how, how aware are guys uh, about their backstory? Mm. On a scale of like one to 10 is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, maybe a negative, negative four. Negative 10, negative yeah, yeah. But here's how that plays out, I think, you know, Commonly, because of our level of responsibility, most men operate in what I term the 24-hour cycle. We view our lives and basically sun up to sundown. We lay our heads on our pillows and we think, all right, I'm going to do that again tomorrow. And hopefully tomorrow I won't screw it up as bad as I did today. And we just basically hit reset. We, we clear the tape, or at least we believe we do. Uh, so when we approach men and say, hey, tell, tell me your story, the first thing they usually say is where they work. Always, which is a clear indicator that their identity is attached to their responsibility. Uh, so there's usually a lot of work to do for a man. And, and I think the work that I was taught by you and Phil and, and what we're doing initially with guys is just that um, awareness that they don't have to be embarrassed that they don't know their story. It's the water that we've been swimming in for for generations. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's just it's it's the common thing is like, you know, as you say, you ask a guy, you, you know, who, who are you even? And he's going to start talking about work. And, and then if you ask him about just, you know, tell me about your spiritual life, uh, he's going to start talking about church, mm -hmm. uh, which I think church and spiritual life are uh, two very, uh, two very different things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so many guys just don't understand like the things that we kind of went through, uh, what we grew up in and all of those pieces, how it play, it is playing out in the present. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the first thing we see is the crash and burn that occurs when one of those identity hooks breaks down. Mm. Um, so my job is who I am until they tell me I don't work here anymore. My marriage is who I am until she tells me she doesn't love me anymore. And then we're thrown into some sort of crisis because we get triggered based on our story and we have no parameters how to understand what's going on. Um, a great way to explain this would be you're in the kitchen, just come to blows with your wife and you don't realize that you're actually screaming at your mom 
Oh, you know, yeah. that's a that's a real thing. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. What do they teach you at CSAT school? Yeah, know. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but so if we don't investigate and discover our story, there's a there's a 100% chance that the things that have have happened to us and notice your reaction even internally right there. The things that have happened to us in our past are going to show up very loud in our present. And and those things are going to be driving no matter what your pride tells you. The things that have happened to us affect us. Uh, there's no such thing as water under the bridge. Oh yeah, but I thought I thought we were a new creation. I thought uh, for we are to forget what is past yeah, and move yeah, on. Move ahead. Right? No, no one who yeah. puts their hand in the plow and looks behind. I've us. heard sermons preached on that. Yes, by people who don't want to investigate their past. <laughs> you right? probably preach some of those. Oh yes, vehemently, <laughs> right? Um, but there, there's obviously a way to manipulate the Bible to mm. uh, get us to a place where we don't have to face what's going on. The interesting thing is when you look at the Bible. God and Jesus, they do things very similarly, um, are always saying, look, look back, look back. The reason you need to think about this is because what happened in the past, when we see the nation of Israel get in so much trouble, it's because they've forgotten their past. They've forgotten where they came from. Or interestingly enough, they have an incorrect interpretation. Hmm. It was better in Egypt than oh. it is here. Yeah, I want to go back. I want to go back. Take me back, right? At the first sign of difficulty, most of that is because our life is calling us to participate in a way that we should have learned the things to be able to reflect on the things. We're just in a bad cycle today where we believe because men, the men, this is a general statement. You make those all the time. I, I want to apologize. No, I never do that. The men that have, that have come before us, especially the silent generation, we weren't taught how to interpret our own lives. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting. One of our uh, key teaching pieces that we uh, talk about uh, at Deer Camp uh, is the Hebrew, the, the descriptive word for man from Genesis, zakar. Uh, and that word, you know, literally means the remembering one. Uh, and it has a verb connotation of to act, to remember God and to act on that, right? But we are the remembering one, but man, it, if that's true, that means we're also the forgetting one. And we work really hard trying to forget the stuff that is is there in our past. Yeah, wouldn't, well, wouldn't you say that most of the healing occurs when Jesus grabs a man, uh, mostly by the back of his neck, if we were to be, I was about to say by the hand, that's too passive. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. He grabs them by the back of their neck and he takes them back to that place where shame or regret set in. And he sits oh, with the man there. And that's a lesson in and of itself that Jesus doesn't flee those places like we do. He sits with us in those and he gives a new interpretation of that. And that interpretation calls us forward. That's so much different than neglecting our own story. And in a way that neglect drives all of our behavior. Jesus understands this about man. If we don't go back to the place where the shame set in, and allow Jesus to heal it, then it will dominate and control us. And the messages that we get in our life from our bosses, our wives, and our kids, they're actually telling us that. Mm. There's something driving you, and it's got nothing to do with me. And then the anger and rage appears. It's just a dangerous cycle. Oh, yeah. We just live life in a cul-de-sac, um, mm. uh, really. Uh, Jeff, put that, uh, just the the, uh, the slide up there with... Um, kind of the little man that there it is um 
And, and when you look at the construct of the soul, and this is, this is Hebrew thought, not Greek philosophy. Uh, Greek philosophy entered the church with kind of this uh, dichotomous, the separate entities of mind, body, and spirit. Uh, it, it kind of that's, how, that's what makes up a soul. That's what makes up a, a human being. Uh, but Dallas Willard uh, talks so much about the construct of the soul. And uh, I believe, we believe, it's fundamental to understand how, how the created design works uh, because all of it is connected. Uh, it's drawn out this way just for illustrative purposes. But it, uh, Dallas Willard always said that the soul is like chicken soup with garlic flavor, right? You can't separate the garlic flavoring in the chicken soup. And so it's all connected and, and the things that happened in the past uh, are stored in the brain, in the mind, right, in the body, uh, because it's stored in the hippocampus, which is the brain center for memory and emotion. And it's in the limbic part of the brain, which is the base part of the brain, the first part of the brain that's fully developed, which also contains the amygdala. The amygdala is the center for fear, action and aggression. And so you've got these memories from the past that have this energy to it because it was most of the time traumatic to use psychobabble terminology. Um, and, and you can remember these events in, in living technicolor, right? It's why you remember it because it's stored there. And if we don't begin to reframe it, if we don't begin to process it, if we don't begin to talk about it, it will drive the bus uh, because at the center of the soul, as Dallas Willard draws it out, um, is heart, spirit, and will. And he talks about those three terms as being interchangeable. Uh, and certainly the reference to heart is always a reference to emotion, right? Jesus so often, I mean, that's all he talked about was the, a change of heart. It's like you've got to begin to understand your emotional self, um, and, and then you've got to begin to change that. You've got to begin to reframe it. You know, one of the teaching pieces at Deer Camp is this idea of imagination. Uh, most men, we kind of suck at that. I mean, we, we didn't when we were little, right? I mean, we'd go out and play with a cardboard box uh, and, and a stick. But we lose that somewhere along the way and, and we lose our imagination and imagination is, I believe, the what if question. What if everything that you've gone through, everything that you experienced was ordained, came through the hand of God in your life to make you the man that you are today? But you've got to reframe it. You, you, you can't just live in the past, in, in the trauma in the tragedy because that's where all the bad emotions emanate from and you can't separate emotion good and bad you've got to begin to understand it and you've got to begin to think about it differently because our emotions come out of our thoughts that's where it comes from and i the only the only thing that we have any control over in this life is where we place our thoughts yeah, so I'll be honest as the guy just sitting in the gray chair here. 
it, we can feel like under this type of instruction, like, hey, you, you, you're getting it wrong. You know, you have it all wrong. Well, that, I, dude, I, I have the gift of shaming. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I feel like you should have been a pastor. I should have been a Baptist yeah. preacher. Uh, yeah. so, or Presbyterian. Either one. Uh, either one. Uh, but really, that's just the way that we're interpreting the message based on our story. What we're saying is, men, we are operating from a deficit. Mm. And there are so many complications related to that deficit. And don't be so... Uh, myopic that you think that you're the reason for the deficit you're not that special you're part of a larger system that has handed you a deficit this is why when you sit with someone who has done their work which there are so many men by the way who haven't done their work that that is their fault mm. you got to choose yeah. the work when you're sitting with a man who has done their work and you start talking complaining griping other words we can't say on, on camera, in public, <laughs> then a man who's done his work will be sitting across from you and he'll ask you very strange questions. Mm. And those questions will sound something like this. Hey, how's, uh, tell me about your relationship with your dad. And that's why you sit in the booth and you're like, boom, yeah. what? You know, no, it's I'm, got nothing to do with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, like home improvement. I'm talking to Wilson. I want you to tell me something to tell my wife when I go back inside. Like, no, that's not what we're here for because... I hear you talking about something in the present, but you're interpreting it through the lens of your past. And the first thing I'm going to start talking to you about is how were you taught to be a man? Mm. What was modeled for you in being a man? And then I'm going to try to figure out, are you just being reactionary to that thing? How many men are walking around today? We're not going to show a raise of hands, but are saying, you know, the number one thing that I'm going to be, not my dad. That we we make an agreement, as John Eldridge calls it, yes. right? And and you know that's such a trap, right? Because now I'm focused on the negative. I will not, right? And guess what happens? It's like don't think about red faced monkeys. What are you thinking about? Red faced monkeys. Uh, but it's like we we had this negative paradigm of I will not, mm -hmm. and that's one of the shifts that we have to make is I will, right? I will be like this. Mm -hmm. And certainly Jesus is the model, but we got to have Jesus with skin on. We've got to have other men that speak into our life. You know, Deer Camp, we call it uh, fathering, right? Uh, those deficits that, that we all got, even the best fathers, they're broken and they are imperfect. And if you think your dad was perfect, uh, you're probably a narcissist. Um, that's just the way it works because you're idealizing uh, something that, that just it wasn't that way. Dad's broken, just like you are. And some dads, the brokenness is very obvious. Um, and what we grow up in has this effect on us. And we've got to begin to understand, be aware of how that formed my soul, my spirit, spiritual formation. One of the lies I think we believe the enemy's been using now for a long time is this phrase, that wasn't that big of a deal. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I can't tell you how many times I've repeated that in my own story. Here's where I said it first. Over this thing that happened to me, um, let, let's not pick a child because men just disregard things that happen zero to ten. Yeah. yeah. So let's, let's pick up in the coming of age years because we kind of assign value to that. Something that happened to me when I was 15 with um, the girl I was pursuing, looking for validation from the world of women, or something that happened to me when I was, yeah, 
something that happened to me when I was 17 when I needed my dad to stand up for me because my mom was treating me unjustly and he didn't. These are all hypothetical. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. Um, those <laughs> things, I start to tell myself as I moved past them on the timeline, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I mean, I didn't lose an appendage, right? Yeah. Um, and we just start to tell that lie over our own story. And here's the interesting thing is, we start to replicate that lie over the damage that we're causing other people in our lives. We look at our children and we say, you know what? That wasn't that big of a deal, what I did. I'll give you something to cry about. Rub some dirt on it. We look at our spouse. and we, mm. So the danger is we start to uh, put that message over our own lives. And then this is why I think the Bible talks about things happening generationally. We start to say things like that over our own story. And then we put that as a mode of interpretation on someone else's story and then we wonder why our sons and daughters don't want to be in relationship with us yeah if 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 we haven't come to the show up place as our good friend eli machin calls it uh, and invited the other whether that's your wife your kids whomever uh, if we haven't come out of the bushes uh, in our shame and in our addictions and our work and all those things if we haven't come out of the bushes and come to the show up place and invited the other well when our kids get about 16 or 17 and we realize they're getting ready to go off to college and launch out in life and then we invite them they're just going to go no no I, you know i don't i don't i don't really know you you know you're you're really not a, a factor in my life yeah i can't trust you as a resource yeah. because we don't have relationship we we have rules Lots and of them. Another equation we talk about all the time. We had rules, but no relationship. So now I will rebel. The, yeah. And we and we hate rebelling. Mm. We hate rebelling. I mean, you go back to that place. You convince yourself that it was a good time, but eventually, eventually, when the quiet sets in, you hate the fact that you had to rebel, and then you start getting angry at the reasons that caused it. Right. So it's a little difficult thing to try to turn things in on yourself. And here's the interesting thing for me. Uh, the way that the church has tried to solve this on this diagram here, the way the church has tried to solve this is with education. More knowledge. Yes. We will give you more knowledge. Interestingly enough, we will sit you in a room and the way that we even seat people in an auditorium in a church these days isolates them. We aren't looking at each other. Yeah. We're not looking at judge trying to heal, trying to mirror we're all looking at this one person who, by the way, is elevated on a stage that is a symbol of authority. Now, I believe that the word of God should sit there, but I don't know about the guy up there teaching. It. He I'm is, saying that he over is myself. the holy man. Yeah, I'm saying that over myself. <laughs> there have been times where I've been given a place to make commentary on things that I had no business talking about. That's just insider trading, right? Because I hadn't I hadn't healed. Right. But the way that we march men into areas, even in this room right now, we would say if this is all you do, it's not enough. You can't heal something outside of mm. a relational context that was broken in a relational context. We also say all the time that children, which we all were at one time, that's tweetable. Um, <laughs> children are excellent observers and terrible interpreters. Mm. So let's put these two things together. Something happens to you, you observe it, you don't like it, and you don't like the vacuum. Like, I don't understand. So I will give an explanation of this, and that explanation is incorrect. It's at that time where you hit arrested development. It stopped. Okay. So there are parts of you, this is going to be tough for you to hear this morning. There are parts of you, although you are a grown man internally, 
that are still very childlike in the wrong way. They stopped developing. Mm, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. It is optional. Yeah. So how do we fix that? Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. No, look, no, that's not how you fix it. That's not how you fix it. The way that you fix it. The way that you they fix bit. it. They yeah. all bit. Everybody it's because bit. I said it so pastorally. I just I've had so many years of practice. There's actually great stuff in Romans chapter 12, but it doesn't connect to the point I'm making. When we, when we sit with each other, what we're doing is saying, can you help me? When's the last time you as a grown man asked that question to something other than YouTube? Can you help me? You can Google it. Yeah. Can you help me? We're sitting with other men and saying, I need help interpreting my story correctly. That's why we share our story. Because when we do that, we expose with our bodies even. How many times have you seen a man share a story and he is just wearing that gum out? He just can't chew that gum. Fast. Or he's, he's or doing he's like, this I wonder, the whole time. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder how many screws are uh, in this deck. I don't know. Uh, never looks up. Yeah, what's under here? Dirt? That's crazy. Never you know? makes eye contact. Exactly. So we say even with our bodies I, I, when they're sharing. I, I did tell one guy after he was done with his story, like, dude, if you had gone another minute, I, I was going to go hang myself in that tree. Dude, it's so painful. You never looked up. Your Such shame was so powerful. Yeah, so such an encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Somebody shoot me. Wow. Speaking of shame. Shoot up in here amongst us. Yeah. Yeah. So we say, we even say with our bodies, you know, or when you start asking, when someone starts asking you about your relationship with your caregivers and you go off somewhere, you leave, you want to, your body just wants to leave the conversation. Hey, you need some more coffee. You know, that's, that's usually how that goes, but you want a sandwich. Yeah. It makes us very, very uncomfortable. But as we expose and begin to understand, and here's the place of freedom, man. You're not going to be good at this the first time you do it. Mm -mm. It's going to be terrible. That's not what it's about. What it's about is opening up the library of your life and your heart and showing other men what books are there, mm. what messages were written. That time that your father laughed at you when you needed him to cry with you. Those are big deals. Maybe they didn't make the news, but the enemy used those things because he is an observer and a liar. And he used those things over your story to reinterpret them and lie to you about what they meant. And you've been carrying those lies maybe all of your adulthood. And now you're passing mm. those lies. And he was able to say, okay, cruise control. Now I've handed that man a lie. Back home in Las Vegas. That's right. Now I've handed that man a lie so that he can then hand his children that same lie. Now I can go on to the other. There's plenty of men. And, and, and that is the idea of spiritual formation. Our spirits are being formed for good or for evil from the day we're born to the day we die, whether we have Jesus or nothing, because we have a God stamp on our life and we are spiritual beings. And so those lies form a belief system. I am inadequate. I'm not enough. I am insignificant. I don't matter. I am insecure. I don't know who I am. Uh, there's, there's these toxic shame messages mm -hmm. that form based on these circumstances and experiences. Yeah. And I don't know those or discover those learning more information about the narrative of God. No, it it's a work. That it's way. a beautiful narrative. And I've spent my adult life studying it to try to figure things out, to tell other people that's valuable practice but it doesn't solve us investigating the narrative of our own lives. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that God only speaks through the narrative of the Bible, or do we believe that he speaks through the narrative of our lives, the things that have and have not happened to us? 
And this is where we get that mirroring going on. When you look into the Bible and you investigate the life of David, you see that God is working in that narrative. You see that his father abandoned him in a field to keep the business going because he chose his other brothers that could be potential kings. Some people believe that David was the illegitimate son of Jesse. Some, some people named Ron Hunter, right? <laughs> Regardless of how you feel about that, his dad abandoned him. Totally. Right? So I wonder, I wonder why David was looking for that woman and took her. Maybe something that happened in his relationship with his father where his dad said, you, you are not even close to being good enough to stand in line to maybe be king. And then when he got the power and he was king and he exercised it and was satisfied when it was time for him to go to war, he stayed home. Mm. And the enemy, I believe, had been sitting to the side of David's story since that day where his dad said, you're not good enough. And he waited and he waited and he waited and the enemy said, gotcha. Oh, yeah. You never processed those things that happen. You can't kill enough men to make that ache in your heart go away. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, Joseph is another example. I mean, th these stories are pictures of the narrative. They're, they're the story yeah. of these guys' lives. It's, mm -hmm. it's their story. Uh, you know, Joseph, when you look at his story and what he went through, right? I mean, there's just abandonment and abandonment and abandonment. Um, you know, God provided men in his life. Uh, it's very clear. There were men in his life that, that loved Joseph, right? He got fathered by other men. Um, and then when Joseph kind of has arrived and he's vice president of Egypt, um, and, and then, you know, the uh, brothers show up in front of him. It, it's so interesting because Joseph had just named his, his firstborn son Manasseh, which literally means God has caused me to forget my pain. Exactly what we've been talking about. And then God says, no, 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 Joseph, you don't get it. And then the brothers show up. And as soon as he realizes who they are, what does he do? He breaks. He breaks, man. He goes into his chamber and he he's wailing. Mm. All the pain, all the trauma that he's experienced has now flooded back right in front of him and then god provides a story of redemption and healing in that whole journey that joseph goes through with his brothers and his father mm -hmm. yeah so i think we're we're being negligent when we use the bible as sound bites to be better citizens mm. and that's happening a lot what we need to do is open the bible and say there are stories in here of men who have failed and been restored Maybe then we will be more courageous as we share our story to say, this is where I have failed and I'm admitting I can't figure out how to be restored. Well, no kidding. You're never supposed to do that in isolation. I'm working on myself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't need church. Just me, God, and a deer stand. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah there's, right. there's a book of that title. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, when we spend time around uh, other men, which we're not real great at that either. Mm -mm. When we spend time around other men and we start to see those men reflect who we are, what I've experienced, I don't know if this has been true, true for you, what I've experienced is a lifting of those dramatically negative interpretations of my own story. We always think it's our fault. We always think that we should have known better. We look at our lives at 13 or 14 years old and we interpret them as a 43 year old. 
you're not 43 years old smart when you're 14. <laughs> Trust me, I'm raising a 14 year old right now. Yeah, he they, took they his don't dirty. Have, they don't his, even have brains. Yeah, he took his dirty dishes and put them in the dirty clothes yesterday. <laughs> like that's about right. That yeah, is that, about right. He's yeah. right on track. He's right on track. This is how it goes, right? Yeah, but I want to look back over my life at 14 and think I should have known better. I should have done better. Another lie that the enemy tells us: this stuff is is your fault. Well, you mentioned just the idea of a library of books and our story. Uh, you know, I, there's a great quote that says, when a man dies, a library burns. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes I'll add to that. And sometimes that library may be uh, coloring books. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they, that fire doesn't take too long. If they haven't even been colored in, right? <laughs> uh, there's not much depth to that guy. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we don't want to end our lives in that way. That's tragic, right? And so it's the idea of digging into our story, becoming aware, and, and really figuring out our soul and how it all works, and then beginning to function instead of living in dysfunction. It's a movement from chaos to order. This uh, sounds like a huge task to me. Uh, and I remember yeah. sitting on that deck at deer camp, and I was like, if I could get my hands around Stephen Soller's neck for dragging me to this godforsaken place in the middle of the woods, I'd do it right now. Right? Um, that was, I would have liked to watch that. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a moment of panic I was in because it does seem overwhelming because we've spent a life with an avoidance strategy. That's, that's most men. Um, but I think maybe giving some categories helps and some obtainable categories. So the way I'm starting to understand it these days is there is a choice that we are given as people between taking and receiving. If you look at the Bible and you're trying to like discover some new things or read it in a way that makes it more fresh or understandable, this is it. Is this a story of taking or is this a story of receiving? This gets to what Dallas is saying about that soul, that center place. In Genesis 3, it tells us that Eve saw that the tree was good for food and she took it. She took it. In contrast to all the things that they had already received from God. Okay, I'm going to fast forward through this really quickly. I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to read from Romans. <laughs> yeah, you're going to do it. I'm actually going right, to read good. from Romans. I can't help it. Everybody will feel better. Yeah, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now, that's used a lot to just shame people for porn, but let's lift above that lesson for a moment. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To take is death, is what the Bible is saying. But to set the mind on the spirit, to receive, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because we're unwilling to receive in that soul place the things that God is trying to push in. That's why Jesus talks about, I'm, I'm the vine. Mm. Jesus says, I'm the dog, you're the tail. That's yeah. a Southern yeah, version. Yeah, that's it. New International Southern version, right? So are we, the thing we can ask over our stories is we're reflecting. During that time of my life or in that season or in that circumstance, was I taking something that wasn't mine or was I receiving something God was trying to push into my life? Well, and, and Paul lays out just in that, that one passage, the construct of the soul. Every aspect is Absolutely. mentioned. Yep. Um, so Jeff, go to that, uh, the, the slide. Um, uh, the next one after uh, the one you showed. Uh, this way, this will this will help everybody that's anal retentive. At least we got the one. Um, but I love the quote there. Um, 
that says this is where our amazing cognitive flexibility comes into play. Thanks to this human skill, as long as we cheat by only a little bit, we can benefit from cheating and still view ourselves as marvelous human beings. It's like like you were saying earlier, you know, it's like, man, I'm not nearly as bad as that guy. I, I'm okay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and we we don't do the inner inward journey, the searching moral inventory of our lives and our history and, and our story. And man, that that's how we kind of live life. I'm I'm just I'm good enough. And and we miss out on what Jesus offers, the way, the truth, and the life, the abundant life, life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the spirit. That's what this is all about. Absolutely. You want to convince me that you're a real man. I don't care how much money you make in a year. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care how many cars you can park at that house. And I don't care where that house is and what gate I have to open to get there. If you want to convince me that you're a real man, tell me that you've sat and you've shared your story for 15 minutes in the presence of other men being uninterrupted. Then I will move in and perhaps trust you and maybe go to your rich house and eat your rich food. That's how it works. Yeah, and I always say, you know, I I believe that unless a man can look another man in the eye, and say to that man, dude, I love you. I'm glad we do life together. You're never going to be able to do that with your wife. It's the practice of <laughs> the intimacy. first time you said that on the phone, I literally went. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What, what's going on here? Yeah. We're not taught that practice. No, uh, it's very uncomfortable, right? But but what's interesting, you know, I'll be with guys that are that that do life together uh deer camp guys that are not just one shot one hit wonders roman candles you know they came to deer camp and then it just nothing else uh not those guys uh but the guys that actually show up and keep showing up and all the different venues and opportunities that we have for men to connect on a deeper level and i'll be with one of those guys and they'll be getting off the phone with one of their brothers and it invariably hey man love you talk talk later i mean it's it it is a common practice and it should be because it's what we're designed for that that's what it's all about being known yeah being known. yeah taking that question i want to be known i want to be soothed i want to be safe i want to be secure we've been taught to take that to the world of women another lie of the enemy that that world will satisfy the needs of the masculine heart it won't it won't until you experience intimacy at that level with another man you will be taking your brokenness and your weaknesses to the world of women and mm. they will they will reject it they will they don't like it uh, and they'll try to tell you uh, how to be a man and they can't because they do not have a pair of balls um, so with that let's pray i think we'll pray <laughs> go for it Dear God, we almost made it. Is that how I start this prayer? Wow. No wonder people won't be seen with you in public. Sorry. Try to navigate this difficult transition. God, we offer you this morning all, all the things that have happened as we've gathered together, and we ask that you do that thing you do just to sift it. Let the things that should pass pass and the things that should remain to remain. God, as we engage in conversation for the rest of the day, as we enter into these areas of responsibility. I just want to pray against that default mode that we're also practiced in. Maybe that we could be bothered all day today 
about the things that you have shown us today through dialogue and through scripture. We offer this morning actually as a sacrifice, as worship to you so that you will do with it what you will. Be with us for the rest of this day as we try to be true men, the men that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dude. Oh.